Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? I mean, what is this all about? Why, why am I here? It's, it's not a new question. It's been asked by people throughout the centuries. In fact, it was even asked by one of God's prophets, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament book of Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 18. He asks it this way. He says, why was I born? Was it only to have trouble and sorrow to end my life in disgrace? What was he saying? He was saying, why am I here? Why is my life this, this mass of, of pain and hardship and challenge and, and stress and anxiety and difficulty? Maybe you can identify with that. Maybe you've thought to yourself, I, am, I, am I here just to, to go through headache and heartache and stress and anxiety? Is that, is that all I'm here for? Why am I here? Many in our world are attempting to answer that question independent of God. And they go to great lengths to do that. I mean, you and I know people who, who they turn to a bottle or some narcotic or something as a means of escaping the lack of answer for this question that's in their lives. We know others who turn to other sources trying to, I, th I think of even the science and the Bible thing we come to. There are people in our culture who turn to science and rationalization in an effort to try to justify reality and life independent of God. And what I want you to hear this morning, I think God has me here in large part to let you know, life is not going to make sense independent of God. It will not make sense. It just won't add up. The Bible clearly reveals in Proverbs 16, 4, that the Lord has made everything for his purposes. You see, God is your creator. You're not going to figure out life independent of your creator. And if everything has its purposes, you can underline the word everything in your Bible, if it's your Bible. Underline it just because, because the reality, every rock has purpose from God's vantage point. I mean, every tree, every flower, every animal has purpose. If you have a pulse, you have a purpose. You may not know what that purpose is, but the fact that you don't know does not mean that one does not exist. It just means I don't know what it means. And from God's perspective, every one of us needs to understand why we're here, what our purpose in life is, what our mission is. And we got to look to God for the answer for that. And so that's what we're going to do for the next few moments this morning. You and I are going to reflect together on two of the biblical reasons that you and I exist. Two of the biblical reasons that you and I are here right now. At this juncture in time and life and history, this season of our lives, why am I here? We're going to answer that with two of the biblical reasons this morning. I say two because there are more. But these are two of the big ones, two of the primary reasons. And if you guys, and I don't get this clear in our heads and our hearts, major, major disequilibrium will set up in our souls. So we got to understand these two biblical reasons for why we're here. And let's look at them for the next few moments together, okay? When you begin by looking with me at a verse of Scripture, it's Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5. And I just want you to read it out loud with me rather than, than there. I put it up on the screen here. It's New Living Translation. Just read it aloud with me. Indulge me if you will. And it goes like this. Scripture says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. His unchanging plan 
has always been to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. And this gave him great pleasure. Now, I want you to think about what we just read. Look at those words. Look at the implications of what they say. This verse is saying to you and me, the Bible is saying that even before God made you, long before he made you, he loved you. You see that? Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved you and me. He chose us and his unchanging plan, and notice the word it says, has always been. So it's, the scripture is even just amping up the permanence of this plan. It's unchanging, and it's always been this way. Do you see what, what the scripture is doing? It? It's just it's redundant. To say this has been God's plan from before you were even created, that he was going to love us and he chose us, and, and that he was going to adopt us. Look at that word, adopt us into his own family. And his whole idea, this plan, gave him great pleasure. Essentially, this passage is saying you and I were created. We're here, first of all to be loved by God. We're here to be loved by God. God created us to be an object of his affections, his mercy, his kindness, his generosity. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. He chose us long before we chose him. Maybe you think to yourself, but my life's imperfect and and my life's a mess, and look at all the mess that's gone on in my life, and God's unchanging plan has been to adopt you into his family, to transform your life by the power of Jesus' sacrifice and death on the cross and resurrection. And every time God thinks about you, every time God thinks about his plan for your life, his unchanging plan, I want you to see in the text, it brings unimaginable joy and pleasure to his heart. Hear this. You are not a disappointment to God. Did you hear what I said? You are not a disappointment to God. You may have disappointed yourself. There may be other people who look at you and say, what a disappointment. But where it counts, where it really matters, with God, you are a source of unimaginable joy and pleasure. And you exist because he wants to love you, imperfect though you are. I, just think deeply about this. We, I mean, we just do not think deeply about these kinds of things much of the time. We just are quick to race on to the next thing. But I mean, think about it. God, God didn't need you. He didn't need you. He wasn't lonely. So somehow he made you to fill this vast void in his omnipotent, omniscient soul somehow or not. Long ago, he made you in order to love you. He chose you. 
You were created to be loved by God. And before we talk about anything else in this whole series of what our life on mission is all about, you and I have to understand this fundamentally. This is absolutely imperative that we get this. You are alive on planet Earth. You were created because God wanted to love you. He wanted to. That's why Jesus could say things like what he says in Matthew 6 with such confidence to his disciples. In Matthew 6, 25 and following, Jesus emphatically says this. He says, don't worry about everyday life, whether you'll have enough food or drink or clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Look at the birds. Look at the birds, for heaven's sake, he's saying. They don't need to plant or harvest or put food in barns because your heavenly Father feeds them. And notice what he says, and you are far more valuable to him than they are. You may not get it, but that's a joke from God's perspective. It is, it is a grand, colossal understatement to say that you are far more valuable than birds. When we understand what scripture says that long ago before he even made the world, God loved you and chose you to be adopted into his family. Long ago, his unchanging plan was for that. And it's always been that. And when you understand that it gives him great pleasure to bless you, it is, it is the height of humor to state. And you're far more valuable than Birds. In the same text, he says, and you're far more valuable than flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow. Look at verse 31. So don't worry about having enough food or drink or clothing. Why be like the Bagans who are so deeply concerned about these things? Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs and he will give you all you need from day to day if you'll live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. If you just focus your life on him as he has focused his attention on you. And if you do that, verse 34, don't worry about tomorrow. Got enough worries of its own, take care of itself. Jesus could make these kinds of sweeping statements because he understood what we either forget or have never fully known and embraced, and that is that every one of us in this room, everyone within earshot of me, every one of us was created to be loved by God. Jesus also understood something else about us that we easily forget or sometimes just don't think deeply about. And that is that God has an extremely long-range plan for your life. You know, we think in stock market segments now, you know, quarters, and sometimes we think less segments than that in our culture. But I want you to listen to this verse how long the scope is of God's thinking about you. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 1, verse 5. Scripture tells us this, For we know that when this earthly tent, this body we live in, is taken down, when we die and leave these bodies, the passage explains, we know that when this earthly tent is taken down and we die and leave these bodies, we will have a home where? What's the text say? In heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. In verse 5, he adds, God himself has prepared us for this. God's made us for this. 
Long ago, it was his plan for this to be the case. The Bible's clearly indicating here, and in other places like it, that God has plans and purposes for your life that don't end when you stop breathing. Some of us, we just think, this is, this is all there is. And we, so we hear news along the, you know, you know, the shootings of the country club over here uh, near the country club of Blue Hills. We hear other tragedies going on in our world with the threat of terrorists and all kinds of things. And we think, oh my goodness, this is, and we get all worked up inside when what really we need to think about is that something happens to this body, a day will come, it's going to breathe its last. And this glorified machine that the real me on the inside controls will be just fine. The body will be folded up just like a tent at a campsite. And there'll be plenty of dirt on it, just like a tent at a campsite. But the real us, part of us that's going to last forever, has a home that God prepared in advance for us and I want you to hear this. What he's saying to us is you were created to be loved by God, hear this, forever. I mean, God's love affair with you will not begin, or will not begin at your death, nor will it end at your death. You were created to be loved by God forever. You were not chosen by God as a temporary amusement or some kind of a short-term fling like people choose each other sometimes. You were created to be loved by the God of the universe forever. Now, here's, here's the deal. Have you opened your heart to receive the kind of love that God has to pour into your soul? You were made for this purpose just, we have the ability to stiff arm love from one another. We have the ability to stiff arm love as God, you know, God himself pours it out onto our lives. And, and have you opened your heart fully to the God who has fully opened his heart and given his life for you? Have you done that? You were made for that. He made you for that purpose to receive that love and for that love to be lavished on you. you know, really, that is what the gospel is all about. That really is what Jesus' life, death, resurrection, it's all about. It's about a God who loves you more than he loves himself or anything else. But you've got to receive that. On those days when you wonder, why am I here? What is this all about? What is the... It's important that you and I remember we're here to be loved by God. We're going to be loved by Him forever. And whatever chaos is going on in my life, just open my eyes. I need to open my eyes for the love of God to shower into my life through some means to help me make it through this moment. It'll be there over and over and over again if you open your heart fully to God. That's one of the first biblical reasons that you're here. Now, once, 
Once your heart has been touched by that truth, once your life has begun to be transformed by that, and to the extent that you receive that, it will transform you. Because that kind of limitless love that emanates from the heart of an almighty God cannot help but but slowly but surely transform us, just like like a a subtle acid cannot help but transform whatever it brushes up against. I mean, the, the, the love of God will melt you know, the calcification of your heart with time as you allow that to be the case. But once that's begun in your, in your life, the Bible tells us that there's a second biblical reason for you and me being here. Rick Warren is a, a well-known pastor in California, and I, and I like some of the things he says sometimes. We've, we've read some of his stuff along the way over the years. Some of you have heard him speak and so forth. But Rick's a well-known pastor. He's fond of explaining this whole reason, the second reason I'm going to talk about of why you and I are here. He's fond of explaining it this way. Why doesn't God take us to heaven, he asks, the moment we become believers? Why didn't he just take us to heaven immediately? After all, we we all know that, I mean, life is full of hardship and and difficulty, sin. I mean, there's temptation, there's, there's distractions from the priority of him. I mean, on and on we could go. Uh, All the evil that's rampant in our world. Why, why doesn't God, why doesn't he just, you know, say, okay, enough with all this stuff and let's just all go to heaven once you give your life to Jesus. Why doesn't that happen? Rick says there are only two things you cannot do in heaven that you can do here on earth. And, and here they are. He says, you know, you can sing in heaven, you can pray in heaven, you can fellowship in heaven, you can serve God in heaven, you can, you can rest in heaven. In fact, you'll rest in heaven, you know, far better than you can rest here. You can play golf in heaven, because the angels will keep score, not you. Which highlights, which highlights one of the things that you and I will not be able to do in heaven, and that is we will not be able to sin in heaven. And we will not be able to tell people who don't know about the love of Jesus for them. And then Rick asks, which of those two, sin or telling others about Jesus, do you think God has left you here for? The second biblical reason that you and I are here is because we're here to be witnesses of God's love for people. We're here to be loved by a holy and righteous God who chose us long before we chose him. And we're here to be witnesses on his behalf of God's love for people. You know, Jesus emphasizes this in a lot of ways. In Matthew chapter 8, he tells his disciples and us, these words, right after his resurrection, he, shortly after it, he says, you know, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now think about that. How much authority has he been given? All of it. And it's significant what he tells us to do with this authority that he's been given. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Even to the end of age. Jesus was saying in these verses, he was saying, go. I mean, go to those who don't know. Go out of your way to the people in in your sphere of influence and beyond. Go to them that they might know who I am, what I stand for, how to what I believe, how to live, how I love them, go. He's saying make believers out of unbelievers. 
He's saying do that in every nation. And actually the word is ethnos in the text. Instead of nation, it really, it's one way of translating. It's a legitimate translation to say to every nation, but it, it's every people group, every ethnic group on the planet. I think he probably even used that word in part so we couldn't say, oh, we hit all 190-something nations. Done. I think he's saying, no, every people group, every people group, every ethnic group, teach them all about me, my way of life, my love for them. Teach them how long ago I chose them before they knew me. And my unchanging plan for them all along has been to adopt them into my family and to purify them by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And every time I think of them, they bring unimaginable joy and pleasure to my soul. This is what God is saying to us. Just before Jesus' ascension into heaven, he told his disciples the same thing, different words, different passage. Acts 1, verse 8, he says to them, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And notice what he says, you will be what? That was pretty weak, but yeah, my witnesses. You'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, which is where they happened to be standing at the moment when he spoke these words, Throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, Jesus wanted his disciples then and now to understand that they were to be witnesses, not prosecuting attorneys, not judges, not a whole bunch of other people, things. They were to be witnesses, to speak on his behalf the difference that he's made in their lives and the difference that he could make in theirs because his love and affection for them. Now, if ever there was a time that you and I needed to be intentional and engaged in being witnesses of God's love for people, I just want to say, now is that time. If ever there's a time in history when this is a big deal, now is that time. It's always been a big deal, but it's really a big deal right now. If you were to ask me what could make the difference in America, this is, could make the single biggest difference in America if believers and churches took this really seriously. Think with me about this. Do you know that America now makes up one of the largest mission fields in all the world? 195 million people do not go to church in America. Think about that. 195 million people. If you were to just aggregate that into a country, it's, it's one of the top five. The percentage of Americans who don't claim any kind of religious worldview has gone from 15% in the 1950s to 60% in 2010. So if 195 million people don't go to church and the fastest growing religious group in America are those who believe in nothing, wouldn't you say it's safe to believe that we live in a mission field? Wouldn't you be inclined to think that that's true? Here's the travesty. Many of God's children do not live that way. We see what's going on all around us every day in the news. We see it in our neighborhoods. We see it in our schools. We see it everywhere. And we sort of live in this blind denial as though everything's okay. And we have these moments, these bursts of shock and horror when 
another tragedy unfolds right before our eyes. And we wonder, why is it going on? And why does it get worse? And we blame it on the media. Oh, we just see it more now than we used to. And da-da-da-da-da. And the truth of the matter is, we live in a mission field and you and I are here to be witnesses of God's love for people. What we see will not change if you and I don't do something about that. And it's not just voting, it's being witnesses, being witnesses. Only God can can melt the calcified heart of somebody who is trying to figure out how to live life independent of him. Only God can do that. You know, you and I live during a historically unique time. I want you to look at a graph of the world's population. This is an interesting thing and sort of traumatizing at the same time if you think real deeply about it. You know, do you realize there are dramatically more people on planet Earth right now than at any time in history? The zero over here on the far left of the graph is uh, when Jesus was walking the planet in the flesh. You run the clock forward to our present time, and look what happened in terms of billions of people of population on the planet. We were hovering below a half a billion people for a long, long time, but in the last couple of centuries, what you see is that it arcs upward at a dramatically inverted trajectory until somewhere uh, right now, depending on who you're talking to and the data that's analyzed, is somewhere in the eight to nine billion people mark on the planet. What are the implications of that? Occasions, there are a lot of people who do not know Jesus unless Jesus' followers are being witnesses in ways that it's maybe never been done before. Here's what I have to say to you about that. That kind of graph is a big, big deal when you consider the fact that long before you came into existence, God 